Philosophy Friday oh, weekend is on the way and uh, your brain must be feeling fresh. So we're going to load it up with some philosophy. Stay with us. It just dawned on me, Nick, that... Yeah. Um, you're actually the wrong guy for Friday. We shouldn't have you on the Friday slot. It's too, you're, you're too intense for the end of the week. You're like a midweek guy, you know, when everyone's like... People, people complaining, yeah, I'm sorry, dude. I don't know, it's just like a Friday thing. You know, you knock off, you want... We should put my brother on Friday. If you're listening, Andre, I think we should make a plan. Except it doesn't rely... You know, Philosophy Friday, it's going to sound stupid if we say whatever Friday. Yeah. <laughs> but what we could do, though, is maybe do like Worldview Wednesday. Mm. Yeah, I see that. Yep. Get you cranking. Everyone's on like weak mode. They can like handle this. Because yeah. you want to talk about like eschatological intrusion on Friday. Mm. I want know? to talk about infanticide. <laughs> Touche. My point. My case. <laughs> I rest it. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> just exactly, exactly what you want to go into the weekend. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know. I mean, podcasting is not for the week. And, um, you know, if, if anyone's out there and complaining, you know, just whatever. Just just shut it. Suck and, it up, man. Yeah. Just be a, be a man or a woman or whatever you yeah. are and, and get your apologetics right. That's what we're here for. <laughs> Friday, Nick's going to sort you out one shot. Um, <laughs> so the whole thing uh, we've been working through, if you, if you are just kind of dialing in for the first time, who are you, Nick? Introduce yourself quickly. Hi, I'm Nick. I am the pastor of Covenant Grace Baptist Church down in Timaru. Uh-huh. And that is in New Zealand. And yep. um, I'm in Wellington, also in New Zealand. And if uh, you're wondering about the weird accents, it's because we're both not from New Zealand, but from South Africa. <laughs> and uh, it's all part of the global scheme to unite and take over the world. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you'll notice there are a lot of South Africans all around you all the time. And, uh, and even... You know, infiltrating the airwaves that's what we're doing right now but uh what we want to um do is just make sure it, you know if you are coming into this thinking about uh where we're we're launching off with this friday thing i mean we have been looking at we'll be trying to fa- stay fairly consistent in going through uh most of uh nick's notes for a, an apologetics class he's just been teaching and so uh, we've been I, f- I think fairly good at that hey we've we've covered like the bases have we not? Yeah. Yes, yeah. we've looked at uh, the positive arguments for God. Now we're looking at the uh, objections to Christianity. Right. Totally. There we go. So, and how many more have you got of these? I don't know, bro. I'm sort of making it up as I go along. You mean for your church or for this? For the church. Okay. <laughs> so, to be continued. Uh, yeah, yeah. Stay tuned. So, we'll just see how long that goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's great. So hopefully, you know, if you did want to do a whole run through, we've got some cool series things happening right now. We've got the Monday uh, Building Covenant Theology from the Ground Up with Chris. Mm. Um, and so working through his book, uh, which I think is is super helpful if you're getting introed 
into uh, covenant theology, and so that's a series to follow. And I got uh, I'm planning on starting my uh, proper kind of Klein verse frame thing on Tuesday, so that would be a slightly more nerdy, but you know, if you're into it, otherwise skip Tuesday. Wednesday is all about whatever and just uh, kind of hanging out with Andre and seeing what's going on there, and that usually boils over into something yeah. from Thursday. And then uh, we got Nick and I for Friday and Saturday, and uh, we got this apologetics run through. And um, <clears throat> hopefully, I mean, you know, we're, we've been fairly consistent with the 1689 as well. I did have a thought, though, Nick. You want to know what my thought What's is? <laughs> what are you thinking, Mike? I, I'll tell you, but do you really want to know? I mean, I don't know. It sounds like you just... I, I really want to think. <laughs> I was thinking we could go from 1689 Saturday to systematic Saturday. <laughs> that's like wide open right systematic saturday that way you sort of you stick to the confession or anything in the systematic category exactly yeah i like it what do you think yeah it sounds good should we make it official right now dude if it's the theology i'm game all right i hereby proclaim the change from 1689 saturday the confession was sweet i love it we can keep it, you know, we can, the confession is systematic theology, but we now proclaim the change. We're going broader. Systematics. <laughs> Come on. Nice. All right. Okay, good. Well, with that in mind, let's talk about uh, intrusion ethics, which we should okay. be talking about on Monday because it's a, a Klein thing, but actually. It is very much a two kingdoms. It is very much a Klein. It is very much a systematic theology. It's uh, omni-relevant. Omni-relevant. Good. What's going on with this uh, All right, objection? So, I mean, we're, we're looking at the uh, so-called genocide or so-called ethnic cleansing of the promised land in the Old Testament. So uh, let me begin with a quote from Richard Dawkins. Mm, good. Richard Dawkins uh, describing God says that God is the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, philicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Did he really do all of that in one paragraph? Yeah, one sentence. Man, alive. And that's reflecting on the particular commands for Joshua to eradicate Canaanites from the promised land. Uh, wow. Like Mr. Dawkins with all his high ground on the morality, you know? Wow. Yeah. Can you believe it? Yeah. yeah. Strong statement. So, mm. I mean, it's, it's something we do want to take head on. And it is something that a lot of people have decided is an emotional an emotional issue. I mean, we live after the Holocaust. Yeah. Genocide and ethnic cleansing, like in Rwanda and Bosnia, these are, these are real uh, life issues yeah. and so yeah. people resonate with this critique and mm-hmm. so it definitely has to be answered yeah true that yeah and it is the most uh, one of the, uh, what we mentioned i think in the past the crusades and things like that but uh you know and how they just come up in in commonplace when you talk uh, apologetics or the christian faith with unbelievers they just have, have lodged their they've taken hold of some area of unbelieving consciousness when when objecting to to Christianity and and this this issue uh you know if anyone's even skimmed through the old testament it tends to be this that they get stuck on and um, and you just yeah you you're going to hit this issue without a doubt yeah yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and to be fair things- just before we go i mean you know actually i mean 
you know, everyone does just personally need to deal with this, right? I mean, you can't just skim over that and go, well, because I mean, I think here's what we do. We go, well, it's in the Bible. Um, God did it, must have a good reason for it. And that's okay. You know, that, or uh, even worse, well, it's the Old Testament. Oh, that's right. Yes, exactly. So that's the Old Testament bad God. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know the Marcion sort of thing, and uh, or just it's not relevant, so we don't care. And you know, it, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy age. Um, no, but um, yeah, no, I mean, you've got to look at this properly. I think it is sufficient as an, a young believer coming into it, having just seen the cross and knowing that God is good, to go. I don't know. I don't understand what that's about, but I, I trust God, like I trust Him with so many <laughs> other mysterious issues. But that said, if there are more things to talk about, or if there's a good explanation, it's worth uh, looking at it for sure. So, anyways, sorry. With that in mind, yeah. So, it. I mean, uh, I suppose one of the key verses, Joshua six, verse twenty-one, the fall of Jericho, and it says, "Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women." Young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. And then you'd find a, a similar statement in the uh, for, uh, the destruction of Ai, Joshua eight twenty two to twenty five. And uh, yeah, so the question is, how can a God who loves sinners command these things to take place? So that's that is the objection. That is the the conflict that we want to try and resolve. Mm. Yes, good. All right. So um. In my reading, I came across some attempts to try and soften the reality of the mm, uh, the mm. command. I don't know if what what you, your research has turned up, but there are a few things which take a slight edge off it, and these are worth mentioning just up front before mm-hmm. we actually get into looking at eschatological intrusion. Is as that a, just are we talking about the this, the usual A and E culture was was doubly brutal, and they actually showed little small mercies along the way, kind of thing. A, a little bit of that, a little okay. bit of that. Yeah. But uh, here's here's the other stuff I found, and I've sort of boiled it down to a few of the stronger ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one is it's 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 a legitimate one, and it basically pushes back and say, look, we we hear the words ethnic cleansing, and we hear the words genocide uh, used in critique, but these words are not used in the Bible. Mm. You know, genocide is someone like Hitler who tries to exterminate the Jews wholesale, you know, across the borders of Germany in all the conquered lands where they went. Mm -hmm. And God's command to drive out the Canaanites was not an attempt to remove a whole race from the face of the earth. It was one particular geographic location Mm -hmm. that God was concerned about. So we want to push back against the critique of genocide and say, no, there's something geographic that we need to take note of. Right. Uh, the second one is ethnic cleansing has connotations of racial hatred. And uh, if you read the Old Testament law, I mean, here, listen to these ones. Mm-hmm. These are laws that, that say God commanding the Israelites to love the stranger. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Deuteronomy 10, 18 and 19. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. Mm. Okay, and here's another one, Leviticus 19, 33 to 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So already what we're doing here is we're, we're, just, we're just taking that accusation of xenophobia, hmm. that accusation that God hates races and loves Israelites, that God is attempting genocide. We, we, we're, we're, trying, we're basically just softening that critique and showing that 
that there's something much more complex and nuanced here than just that flat critique, which so many people want to bring against Christianity. Hmm. But yeah. uh, here's, the, here's the other A&E type stuff that people have used to attempt to soften it. Um, so uh, one um, suggestion is that the word for town, like Jericho and Ai, hmm. could be translated as fort. So this is the, the picture they try and paint. Imagine a hamlet or a village, and in the middle you have the military fort. So when um, an invading army comes along, the people in the hamlet or the village would run into the mountains, into the caves. And the king, the leaders, the aristocracy, and the military men would stay behind or whoever would be fighting. So that basically you've got no non-combatants lying around. Only the military targets remain. And so mm. when an army like Israel moved into an area, it's likely that town should be translated as fort, and it was the military aspect of the hamlet mm. that mm. was uh, being laid siege. Yeah, that's definitely a helpful point. Without a doubt. That is helpful. I mean, yeah. but, but again, it, it takes a slight edge off it, but it doesn't remove the problem of God commanding them to take someone else's land and drive right, them right. out. Right, exactly. And, yeah, yeah. And, the action, and, and, and one of the other attempts to, to try and soften it is what they call battle hyperbole. Mm -hmm. So, um, oh, right, you yes. know, yeah. kill the men, the women, the children, the animals. And there were probably mostly only men or, or uh, com uh, people who were involved in some sort of military action who were around. Mm. But uh, the battle hyperbole is kill everything. Mm. Um, totally. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, that, that, that's, it's a possible uh, way to solve it. But again, I mean, I think for yourself and myself or anyone who's Kleinian in orientation, we found a much more satisfying way to, to give an account for uh, the problem of... Uh, the command to kill the Canaanites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and even why, just um, before we go there, sorry, just uh, even before yeah. we go there, I'm just thinking, you know, at the end of the day, the softening thing just it just doesn't work with the Bible. You know, it's the Bible's got such gnarly stuff in it, and um, <laughs> you know, you just I mean, you're gonna spend your whole life trying to like put out fires. <laughs> you know, it's almost better to just. Get, just understand that you've got something very, very brutal before you, and you have to. It has to work yeah. as that which is portrayed. Um, and, you know, perhaps another thing would be the, the curses upon Israel, and even just the, the the famine and the eating of their children. And you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, you've got yeah. a, you, if you haven't got the one thing, you've got the other thing. And I think w one of the things that um, I'm thankful it, way before I I got into Klein, you know, I just somehow I suppose maybe intuitively or connected what was going on there with judgment. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, it's not, e it's not difficult to see the curse is a judgment, you know, and that, um, you know, the um, Canaanites are being judged. Uh, their, their sins are being, you know, ripened for judgment. And then that is in some way a shadow or analogy of what will happen at the end where you see a very similar picture where God is pretty much, you know, making war on the nations. He's, you know, his uh, clothing dipped in blood. Uh, people are calling for rocks to fall on them. You know, instead of face the wrath of the lamb, he treads the mm -hmm. wine press of his fury. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> the, the, those images are all connected. 
And uh, it's not like it leaves you wondering as to why a judgment is coming. You know what I mean? It's uh, The Bible's full of explanation in that regard. So it's not like you you might not have a very sophisticated, even without the, the whole eschatological intrusion thing, you might not necessarily have the most sophisticated thing. But I don't know that that's an excuse to just sort of get all Dawkins-ish with the Bible, you know? Um, it, it, never, yeah. it has never felt like that much of an objection to me, you know, in that sense, just because we all deserve judgment and God can do whatever he wants, you know, that's basically, I think if you get that point, it just softens the whole thing. Uh, well, not softens it, but focuses it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I agree hundred percent. Totally. So, but, I mean, uh, the two lenses that I, that, yeah, you want to carry? No, it was just, uh, yeah, two lenses, go. The two lenses that I think help are the first is the lens of idolatry. So examining the actions of the Canaanites. And the second one is the lens of eschatology, looking at it in terms of a judgment. Yeah. Um, Yeah, exactly. I think there's a narrative here that the Bible does paint in terms Mm -hmm. of idolatry. If you go back to Genesis 15, Mm -hmm. when God is promising Abraham the land, Mm -hmm. uh, listen to uh, Genesis 15, verse 16. So he's he's telling Abraham that his descendants are going to end up in Egypt. They're going to serve for 400 years. They're going to be rescued and go up with many possessions. And then verse 16 says oh, that's this. When they, they and they shall come up. back. Yeah. They haven't yeah. heaped up the judgment. They shall come yeah, back got here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Totally. Yeah. So, there, so, so I mean, it shows God what it's and, about. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. But, but also what we see is a kind of slow anger, a God who is patient, a God who waits for generations for the sin of idolatry to, be, to reach its max. He's not just sitting up there and lashing out at the first sin. Here is a picture of a God who hates sin, yes, mm-hmm. but he's not just coming down anytime anyone uh, puts the first foot uh, out of place, mm. but he waits and he's patient. And that's, that's an important part of the narrative. And then when Moses describes um, the sins of the uh, Canaanites in the land, so this is hundreds of years later now, during Moses' time, not Abraham's time, mm-hmm. listen to Deuteronomy 18, verse 9 to 13. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Mm-hmm. That's a crazy practice going on in Canaan. Yeah. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before. Here's an important point. God is judging these people for the highest crime we can commit, idolatry. Mm. And here's, here's the impartiality of God. When the Israelites commit the same sins, what does God do? Yeah. He drives. Yeah them out of the land, the Assyrian exile, the Babylonian exile. So it's justice, not genocide. It's justice, not favoritism. Yeah. It's justice because of idolatry and dealing with sin. That's the underlying issue that has to be appreciated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as much as the severity of the judgment is, um, uh, you know, just sort of mentioned there um, or, or it portrayed, with those instances, uh, with the theocratic army of Israel coming on the uh, the Canaanites, it's almost like there's a corresponding intensity of idolatry and sin, you know, it, it, to show what man has become. 
um, you know, almost unique, mm. unique pockets of, it, it reminds me a little bit of, of, of later on when you're going to get to the Greco Roman period or, you know, from our perspective back when you get to the Greco Roman period where it seems like there, there was just something going on um, at that point that just sort of, you know, allowed for an environment in which the New Testament authors could speak about the sin of men and judgment, you know, in ways that would be just relevant for all time. And, you know, we haven't, in some ways, we haven't yeah. circled back to the heights of, of the sin going on there. And um, and so, you know, with that, with that eschatological sort of intrusion, you almost had a, uh, what do I want to say, eschatological apostasy, but it was just, it was brutal. I mean, you know, you don't, it's not typical to, to walk around, you know, go traveling today and, and, and come across a culture that, you know, burns their children alive to, you know, worship a God of, you know, that, that requires obscene things from them. I mean, you know, it's, it, that would be a quite an astonishing, you know, a, it, would, it would just affront you, you know? Um, and you mm. would want, you would, I mean, even as someone who perhaps didn't even believe in God, you would want justice yeah, to I, be done. And, and in one sense, I 100% agree with you, Mike. <laughs> right. Okay, we gotta let people you know what what happened. Okay, there. good. You know, good, okay, good. you just got cut off, and I thought that'd be an awesome segue. You should say, Mike, you're so brilliant in your insights. Mike, uh, you're so brilliant in your insights. Sorry, <laughs> let me try that again. Mike, you are so brilliant in your insights. Well, I, I do thank you, Nick. I mean, it's not every day. That... <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll allow you um, to sit in my shade. <laughs> All right. Such a big shadow. All right. <laughs> Yo. All right. So we're, we're talking about eschatological intrusion, and we've basically covered the lens of idolatry. But here's, here's the big Kleinian angle. Hmm. And uh, what we mean by eschatological intrusion is, of course, eschatology relates to last things. And in particular, uh, it brings into view the judgment as a way in which we need to understand um, what Joshua and the armies of the Lord are doing. So, I mean, you're probably more familiar with this than I am. So why don't you set it up for us? I mean, the, the name eschatological intrusion should should kind of spell out what we're saying. But it's just that you have, it's kind of what I was saying earlier, and that you have at the end a very clear, everyone like understands eschatology. Um, you know, at the end, you've got this major judgment coming, right? This is what the flood pointed to. This is what all these uh, <laughs> things, you know, we readily and easily enough see them as types and shadows of the judgment. But um, what Klein argued is that you have the, the, that coming age um, of judgment break into the present reality. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and the whole thing pivots around the idea of theocracy, which in and of its own was a picture of heaven. So the yeah. idea is that when you, when you have a theocracy, uh, which again we don't have today, and you know that's important to spell out. But in this in this unique situation of Israel, as it sort of re recapitulated um, Eden, um, you have uh, the task of the um, the kings and the prophets and the priests to be to expel that which is unholy in the land. So Adam yeah. should have done that. He should have crushed the head of the serpent. He should have protected his wife. He should have done all these things. Protected the temple. Garden and sanctuary that that he was called to protect, um, and you see, you know, this call to Joshua in a sense uh, to do that very thing to to show where Adam failed to point to the Adam that wouldn't fail, and um, and really that 
should ultimately uh, have our thoughts move all the way to the end where you have um, Jesus coming at the end. I mean, the, the ultimate theocracy is going to be the new creation where, yes. um, you know, it's not our job as the church ever to touch swords or anything like that. But at the end, I mean, we've got this very real doctrine of hell going on and judgment that is terrifying. And, yeah. uh, there, you know, all of those all of those horrific images in the Old Testament, like I don't like to sh- to soften them too much because the whole point is horror, you know, just complete terror. Um, there will be a severe judgment that we can't even fathom. You know, imagine in the flood, people drowning, you know, cries for as far as the yeah. eye could see, people just, you know, shouting, dying, men, women, and children, you know. Uh, I mean, can you imagine being in the ark listening to that? And um, and then you've got all the way through to to seeing these sorts of scenes where God basically pulls the the end forward, it intrudes into the present, and um, in this great big imagery of Israel uh, shows what will come, and um, and actually brings a, a temporal judgment. And so, yeah, I mean that's that's the the long and short of it, just off the cuff. But yeah, um, let, let's uh, let's turn it over to you. You probably got something a little more systematic. Yeah, well, that, that was exactly where I wanted to go. It's cool. the contrast between theocracy and common grace. Totally. Yeah. Theocracy is where God's law is the law of the land, and the wages of sin is death. Mm-hmm. And common grace is where God does not uh, enforce His law; otherwise, He'd have to kill everyone. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, and so what we have in the nation of Israel is a reinstatement of a theocracy. Mm. It's, it's a partial realization of Eden, where God is going to be in the midst of his people. He'll be walking amongst them. Mm. And so where, where God comes down to be with his people, where the kingdom of God is present, where, there is a, where, where the king is in the midst of his people, the king's law must be the law of the land. And mm. so mm. the sinner must die. And mm. like you said, the seed of the serpent must be driven out. The land must be kept holy. Mm. And the armies of Israel is God's, um, where Adam was the vice regent of God who was supposed to um, put God's law into practice. That's what the armies of Israel are doing when they drive the idolaters out of the land. Mm. Mm. And uh, like you said, with the flood, the picture that I have in my mind is that portion in Peter Mm. where God is going to burn everything with fire. Mm. Mm. And if you think about the final day, Everyone's going to die in one sense. Even those who, who don't experience physical death, they experience the end of their, their physical time in a body of death mm. before they receive a resurrection body to stand before the judgment. Mm. Mm. And everything goes up in flames. Mm-hmm. Everything gets burned to be made new. Mm. And um, there will be children, there will be animals, there will be plants, there will be cities, there will be everything in creation will be subjected to the fire mm. uh, in order to... be. Uh, when God is bringing in the new creation. And so what we have when Joshua is moving into the, into the promised land and he is putting everything to the sword and he's burning everything and he's passing everything through fire, that's that's the picture. Mm. It's mm. He is realizing Christ's coming mm. um, as king to make all things new. Man, crazy. Joshua, I mean, it's the Hebrew form of Jesus as well and he's bringing people <laughs> exactly. into the land. It's amazing. <laughs> Um, you know, it's just such a powerful picture. And yeah, I mean, I think it's an essential picture because otherwise you end up with the Jesus meek and mild thing, you know, and you, you just forget about all those old, those Old Testament pictures, the imprecatory Psalms, the Davidic King, all of those things, they have a vital place in New Testament theology, you know, in mm-hmm. our in our understanding of, of who Jesus is and what's going to happen. And, and, and it's different from, you know, I, 
know a lot of people, I, I remember I've said this in the past and so, someone said, well, is that like Sharia law and Islam? And, you know, basically, uh, you know, they, they got majority and they basically just started to, um, you know, subject everything to their own uh, religious beliefs and that sort of thing. And it's so different because, number one, no one wants any, you know, at least if you're Kleinian in Two Kingdom, no one's gunning for any kind of theonomy now. Uh, we're realizing no. that was a, a uh, picture, an object lesson. Uh, in the world um, until the real thing happens. And that's going to be brought in not by man, but by God himself, who has not, you know, it's not like at that point, it's just now that, you know, the, the scales have tilted and, and, you know, randomly it ends. It's that you've been given, everyone has been given this massive opportunity through common grace to turn from their sins and uh, to, to, you know, um, to turn to uh, Christ. And yeah. um, and even just you know to uh, if not to do that then to heap up their sins you know and to to look at the creation and and repress the truth of the creator and, and just just exactly as we've just uh, said about the Canaanites they 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 would heap up their sins they're piling up wrath at the end and um, and and it'll be a perfect judgment you know and yeah and, exactly and a new creation you know will begin and it will be uh, everything. Uh, it will. There will be no place. There'll be no commonality. There'll be no place for the wicked. There'll be no allowance for it at that point. Uh, and yeah. we realize that all the stuff that we've just been taking for granted, you know, uh, has all been just grace. You know, uh, you, we, you know what's you know what strikes me about this whole issue of genocide is that actually it's not an indictment on God. Mm. It's an indictment on us. That's our sin being punished. That's yes. what we deserve. We are the ones given a glimpse of what's one day going to happen to Absolutely. all those who are not in Christ. Yeah. Uh, couldn't agree more. And and the thing is, you know, maybe just to say this as well, if uh, people are listening to this and, you know, apologetics and thinking about evangelism and stuff, I mean, that's the, the turning, that's the, you need to use that as a point of, you know, moving it straight to to the gospel and a call for repentance. Because, you know, perhaps uh, they come in with the Dawkins quote at the beginning there, um, you know, and have a similar attitude. But I yeah. mean, that's the very kind of attitude that will ultimately stand before God in judgment. And, uh, well, here's, and here's, where, here's, where, where, here's how I think we need to respond to the Dawkins attitude. Yeah. And it's we need to point to the cross because there's only been one time in history that the full wrath of God has ever yeah. been poured out. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, every outpouring of wrath, whether it's the wiping out of the Canaanites, whether it's the flood, whether it's Sodom and Gomorrah, has been a justice mixed with mercy. Yeah. It has not been the full vent of God's wrath towards sin. Yeah. And the first place that God ever poured out his full wrath upon what sin actually deserves was upon his own son. He took it himself. Mm. He took the judgment. Mm. And this proves that God is a God who does seek to save sinners. He is not vindictive. Mm. He is a God who, who seeks to, to win a people, a sinful people, to himself. Mm. And so, you know, the accusation does not fit when you see the love of God at the cross. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, it's a, what a uh, amazing and terrifying thought all in one, you know, just to think that even the flood was not the full expression of God's wrath. No. Um, and the cross is the only thing we've ever even come close to seeing. Um, yeah, wow. And, and I mean, you know, so two things are happening there for me. I'm thinking, you know, number one, it just it turns the tables on any sort of 
moral high ground I, th- I think I might have had on the situation. And now all of a sudden yeah. it brings me into the picture and I, you know, I'm going to be one of those. That was a foretaste of what is coming to all humanity of which I am part. Uh, do Am I willing to really look inward and say, you know what? I've got this. I'm good. I'm just going to look at the God of all creation and say, uh, I think you, you, you know, you made a mistake or, you know, there's no ways I deserve judgment. Um, or, you know, you can, you can just crumble in that moment looking for, uh, what God might do by way of mercy. Why is he even giving us breath? And then, yeah, to point them to the cross. I mean, you, to see this God who takes that wrath upon himself so as to allow for you who should receive that judgment to be mm. forgiven. I mean, it's just, yeah. And yeah. all of a sudden you're into good gospel conversations right there. Yeah. <laughs> but so I, I, don't, I don't run from this objection. I yeah. run towards yeah. it. It's, it's one of the best. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because it takes you to the real issues of, of wrath and cross and judgment. Yeah, totally. It's a, it's a good issue to get into. Um, with people. And also, you know, you don't want to ever try and persuade anyone of any kind of Christianity without the baseline of them having to work through this prior, because it involves, you know, they would have to come to terms with their own sin to see the point that we're making here, Um, you know. And so to soften those issues, um, you know, to try and just sugarcoat them and then sort of bring someone into the Christian faith and just, you know, you're not doing anyone any favors that way because they've just they've looked over the whole point of those things and they haven't connected themselves to sin and the terror of the terribleness of sin and and yeah. uh and, and and the terror of wrath and yeah so all of that stuff is is um is usually helpful to just kind of bring those those it's often offensive and you know jagged edges of the gospel out but the necessary ones to ensure someone comes to christ as yeah. they should good well uh Thanks for that, bro. Any other points you wanted to make there? No, should... that's good. I think we've covered it. It's good. Nice. Well, we're um, if you're interested in eschatological intrusion, we haven't actually got there on uh, Meredith Mondays uh, yet. It's been something <clears> I've kind of, um, you know, when we'll get we'll get to the section that Klein deals with it, and we'll cover it in way more detail. So if that if you are interested in that, uh, stay tuned to those Mondays, and we'll come back mm. on that one. But um, thanks a million, bro. Appreciate it. Cool, man. Cheers. Mm.